Section 20 of The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales by Sir Arthur Thomas Quiller Couch. England. At Madeira, seven of us were added to the first-class passengers of the Cambuscan, homeward bound from Cape Town, and even so the company made a poor muster in the saloon, which required a hundred and seventy feet of hurricane deck for covering. Those were days, long before the South African War, before the Jameson raid even, when every ship carried out a load of miners from the Transvaal, and returned comparatively empty though as a rule with plenty of obviously rich men and be-diamonded ladies but every tide has its backwash and it so happened that the cambuscan held as many second and third class passengers as she could stow they were their general air proclaimed it the failures of south african immigration men and women who had gone out too early and given up the struggle just when the propitious moment arrived seediness marked the second class the third class came from all parts from the cape to pietermaritzburg but they might have conspired to assemble on the cambuscan as a protest against high hopes and dreams of a promised land the protest let me add was an entirely passive one they stood aloof watching the flashy gaieties of the hurricane deck from their own sad penumbra a dejected wistful whispering throng they simply don't occur one of the be-diamonded ladies remarked to me and went on to praise the u-line for arranging it so with nightfall or a trifle later they vanished and at most when the time came for my last pipe before turning in two or three figures would be left pacing there forward pacing and turning and pacing again i wondered who these figures were and what their thoughts they and the sleepers hive beneath them belong to another world a world driven with ours through wave and darkness urged by the same propellers controlled by the same helmsman separated only by thin partitions which the touch of a rock would tear down like paper and yet while the partitions stood separated as no city separates its rich and poor only on sundays did these two worlds consent to meet they had it appeared a common god and joined for a few minutes once a week in worshipping him the be-diamonded lady however was not quite accurate once and once only it was the second day out from madeira the third-class passengers did occur to the extent of organizing athletic sports and even with the captain's leave of levying prize money from the saloon deck some four or five of us when their delegate approached were lounging beneath the great awning and listening or pretending to listen to the discourse of our only millionaire mr olstein as usual he recited his wrongs and as usual the mere recital caused him to perspire 
the hairs on the back of his expostulatory hand bristled with indignation the diamonds on his fingers flashed with it we had known him but two days and were passing weary of him but allowed him to talk he apostrophized the british flag his final court of appeal he termed it while we stared out over the waters we love it he insisted we never see it without a lump in our throats but we ask ourselves how long is this affection to count for nothing what are we to get in return no one answered perhaps because no one knew my thoughts had flown forward to a small riverside church in england and a memorial window to one whose body had been found after isandlwana with the same flag wrapped around it beneath the tunic this was his reward hey what's this mr olstein took the subscription list fitted his gold-rimmed glasses and eyed the delegate over the paper athletic sports not much in your line i should say no sir and while the delegate bent his eyes a bright spot showed on either cheek he was a weedy hollow-chested man about six feet in height with tell-tale pits at the back of the neck and a ragged beard evidently grown on the voyage i'm only a collector with the captain's permission i see mr olstein pulled out a sovereign i don't put this on you mind i can tell a consumptive with half an eye see here he appealed to us this is just what we suffer from you fellows with lung trouble flock to a tapered hole like madeira while the cape would cure you in half the time why the voyage itself only begins to be decent after you get south but you won't see it and the people who do see it are just the sort who don't pay us when they come and damage us when they go back hard cases sent out to pick up a living as well as their health who get stranded and hurry home half cured a young briton in the deck chair next to mine rose and walked off abruptly while i fumbled for a coin ashamed to meet the collector's eye hello mr olstein grinned at me our friend's in a hurry to dodge the subscription list but the young briton turned and intercepted the collector as he moved towards the next group it's your sovereign said i that seems to be overlooked mr olstein saw it at his elbow and repocketed it well if he hasn't the sense to pick it up i've some more than to whistle him back but that'll show you the sort of fool we send out to compete with germans and such like it's enough to make a man ashamed of his country this happened on a saturday morning and in the afternoon we attended the sports a depressing ceremony the performers went through their contests so to speak with bated breath and a self-consciousness which try as we might poisoned our applause and made it insufferably patronizing their backers would pluck up heart and encourage them loudly with whitechapel catchwords and anon would hush their voices in uneasy shame our collector brave by fits in his dignity as steward would catch the eye of a saloon-deck passenger and shrink behind the enormous rosette which some wag had pinned upon him next day i made an opportunity to speak with him after service it needed no pressing to extract his story and he told it with entire simplicity he was a cockney and by trade had been a baker in bermondsey 
a wearing trade he said the most of us die before forty you'd be surprised but he had started with a sound constitution and somehow persuaded himself in spite of warnings that he was immune at thirty-two he had married a deal later than most he explained and had scarcely been married three months before lung trouble declared itself i add a few pounds put by having married so late and it seemed a duty to emily to give myself every chance so we packed up almost at once and started for south africa it was a wrench to her but the voyage out did us both all the good in the world she being in a delicate state of health and the room in bermondsey not fit for a woman in that condition the baby was born in cape town five months after their landing but they've no employment for bakers out there he assured me we found trade very low altogether and what i picked up wasn't any healthier than in london emily disliked the place too though she have stayed gladly if it had been doing me any good and so back we're going there's one thing i'm safe of work my old employer in Mermondsey has promised that all right and the child you see sir won't suffer there's no consumption that i know of in either of our families and emily you may be sure will see he's not brought up to be a baker he announced it in the most matter-of-fact way he was going back to england to die to die speedily and he knew it i should like you to see our baby sir he added he weighs extraordinary for his age my wife comes from the north of england a very big bone family and he's british every ounce of him though he was born in south africa but the wife took a chill on entering the bay and remained below with the child nor was it until the day we sighted england that i saw the whole family together we were to pick up the eddystone and as this was calculated to happen at sunset or a little after the usual sweepstake on the saloon deck aroused a little more than the usual excitement for the first glimpse whether of lighthouse or light would give the prize to the nearest guesser if we anticipated sunset the clearness of the weather would decide between the two pretty close shots if we ran it fine the lamp which carries for seventeen miles and more might upset those who staked on daylight even at that distance from the mark our guesses had been tabulated and the paper pinned up in the smoking-room they allowed a margin of some twenty-five knots on the twenty-four hours run ranging as nearly as i can recollect from three hundred and thirty-five to three hundred and sixty and the date being the last week of march and sunset falling close on half-past six a whole nebula of guesses surrounded that hour one or two divided only by a few seconds a strong headwind met us in the channel and the backers of daylight had almost given up hope but it dropped in the late afternoon and by the log we were evidently in for a close finish mr olstein had set his watch by the ship's chronometer and consulted it from minute to minute he stood by me binocular in hand and grew paler with excitement as sunset drew on and the minutes scored off the guesses one by one from the list his guess was among the last but not actually the last by half a dozen 
we had reached a point when five minutes disposed of no less than nine guesses the weather was dull no one could tell precisely if the sun had sunk or not we were certainly within twenty miles of the rock and by the nautical almanac unless our chronometer erred the light ought to flash out within sixty seconds if within forty the man sang out from the crow's nest mr olstein would lose after forty he had a whole minute and a half for a clear win the forty seconds passed mr olstein drew a long breath of relief but why the devil don't they light up he demanded after a moment i call you to witness what the time is by our chronometer i'll have it tested as soon as i step ashore and if it's wrong i'll complain to the company if it's not i'll send the trinity house a letter or lay those lighthouse fellows by the heels punctuality sir in the case of shipping life or death the cry of the man in the crow's nest mingled with ours as a spark touched the northeastern horizon almost ahead of us trembled and died shone out as it seemed more steadily and again was quenched mr olstein slapped his thigh he had won something like ten pounds and was a joyous millionaire that makes twice in four voyages he proclaimed i congratulated him and strode forward a group of third-class passengers had gathered by the starboard bow they too had heard the cry to all appearance they might have been an ordinary whitechapel crowd and even now they scarcely lifted their voices but they whispered and pointed the eddystone i singled out my friend the baker before i could reach him he had broken from the group i hailed him without seeming to hear he disappeared down the fore companion but by and by he emerged again and with a baby in his arms evidently he had torn it from its cot his wife followed weak and protesting the child too raised a wail of querulous protest but he hugged it to him and running to the ship's side held it aloft england baby it turned its head seeking the pillow or its mother and would not look but broke into fresh and louder wailing england he hugged it afresh god knows of what feeling sprang the tears that fell on its face and baptized it but he hushed his voice and lifting the child again coaxed it to look coaxed it with tears streaming now and with a thrill that would not be denied england baby england end of section twenty